This is the Berman Project. Hey, it's JD here, back for another week of introspection and reflection on loss, grief, and the pathway to mental wellness, all the while nourishing my soul with the music and art of late, great indie rock singer-songwriter David Berman. How are you doing? Uh, I'm looking out my window right now, and it's very gray, and it's also very dirty. Uh, I need to clean my window. But it's like, it's the in-between part. Like, I need to take the window off, you know, and clean it in the inside, which makes me wonder, how does the inside get dirty? It's sort of protected, isn't it? There's no finger. There's no fingerprints that should be on it. I don't understand is what I'm trying to say. I, I just don't understand. So there's that. I hope you're well. Uh, I hope that the holiday season is infecting you and you are uh, joyous, ringing uh, some sort of bell perhaps to ensure that children of all ages understand that you get it. You get it. So there's that. Today is uh, December the 17th, which is a red letter date uh, for JD, and uh, I'll explain why. 10 years ago, 10 years ago in October, my father went in to have a routine bypass surgery. Now, you know, he was 67, and uh, what's routine, right? Suffice it to say, he never made it out of the hospital, died in the hospital January 5th of 2013. Wow. Yeah, it's been 10 years. At any rate, at one point, it looked like he was getting well, and they moved him to another hospital, a, a more local hospital to where my mother and father lived. And he started to, you know, mend. Uh, he was on his feet. He was talking. Uh, he was in a coma for the first probably week, and that was just a, a real trip when he came out of the coma because the Toronto Blue Jays had traded their manager to the Boston Red Sox. John Farrell got traded, essentially, to the Boston Red Sox. And I remember telling my father that I didn't know what else to say. I didn't know... I wasn't trained necessarily to tell him that I loved him, even though I did love him and I do love him. Uh, it was um, small talk. You know, he and I were really good at small talk. And uh, there was an understanding. We both understood. And I think he really understood me better once I started having children, you know. Uh, and he realized that there was that paternal peace to me. Uh, prior to that, I don't think that he had a whole lot of time for me. Um, we spoke. We always spoke nicely. But I don't think he understood me, and I certainly didn't understand him. But that brings us to December 17th, because like I say, he was at this small hospital. And on December 17th, he took a turn for the worse, and they decided to move him back to the big city hospital. 
uh, rush him in an ambulance to the big city hospital. And so I was at work doing Christmas share with my colleague, Autumn. Uh, We were basically distributing Christmas gifts to families in need, gifts that had been, you know, raised by the company that I work for. Uh, they put them together for different families and then Autumn and I would deliver them. And that was so rewarding to to actually get to do that piece, to to give the gifts to a family. That was just really quite nice. And um, I, I let her know that my father was being moved and she's like, well, let's go right now. Let's go to the hospital. Let's drop everything and go to the hospital. And I was like, we, we, we can't do that. We can't. And she was like, you can't not. And so she drove me 90 minutes away to the hospital. I got there before my mother got there. And I ended up having probably the best 30-minute conversation of my life with my old man on this day. I think he had come to grips or he was realizing that things were looking grim. And he didn't have much time left. Uh, Like I say, he died the 5th of January. This was the 17th of December. Um, we talked about my family and we talked about like we held hands and and we just talked about shit and it was good and as I went to leave he said to me he said make sure you hold your girls tightly and he said it in a way that was sort of perfunctory that was sort of this is this is it. Now I am a narrative junkie, and so I took that as okay. That's our we've 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 had our moment, and I ended up flushing a lot of the goodwill from the seventeenth away because I refused to sort of check in with him after that. Uh, I didn't want to risk jeopardizing that moment that we had had where he said, you know, he told me he loved me and he told me to hold my family dear, to hold them near rather. And I I didn't want that to be ruined. And, and so even on Christmas day, when we went to the hospital, I sort of stood away. And on new year's day, when my whole entire family was here at this point and they all went in the room, this was when we had decided to remove him from life support and heroic measures. No life-saving measures would be taken after this point. And uh, my entire family went in and had a conversation with him, and I didn't. I didn't go in. Now, there was a lot going on in my little world and in my brain. I was starting at that point to melt down in 2013, the meltdown would become more concrete. And by 2014, I was realizing the boat that I was in the shape that I was in. And by 2015, I was off work. So it all happened really quickly for me. And, uh, I don't remember much. I I don't have a good memory anymore in terms of, you know, the last six or seven years. But I'm so grateful that I remember that and that I have that. And uh, nothing will ever take that away. And uh, 
I owe Autumn a great deal for making that happen. If you got a message, leave your name and number, and we'll get back. That is uh, advice to the graduate, and that is just fucking magnificent. It's hard to believe that just a few years earlier they were putting together songs uh, that appeared on early times, but that were originally on Dime Map and the Arizona record that sounded, you know, primordial. And yet here they are 
delivering a fully formed idea of a song in a beautiful fashion. Their voices work so well together. I love the outro. I love the drums in this one. I think this might be Westy playing the drums on this, but I'm not 100% sure. That would be something to ask Bob. But just truly a, a great song. There's some really great lyrics in there. And it's one of my favorites. It's one of my absolute favorites. And it's the fourth track on their first full-length record. That's pretty ballin'. That's pretty badass. Let's read a poem. Okay, this is called From Cantos for James Michener, Part 2. From Cantos for James Michener, Part 2. And it's written in several sections, so we'll just do a section every week because to sit down and do this whole poem, uh, it's five or six pages. It would be... A lot to ask, I think, for my poor little eyes. From Cantos for James Michener, Part 2. C.I. The jets move slowly through the sky like they'll never reach Denver or wherever they're going. And I have the feeling the people are high-fiving nearby. Spontaneously, like a saloon brawl where everyone suddenly starts fighting as if each man has a preconscious knowledge of which side he's on when he enters a crowded room. And this fight starts with a Polish joke that a man at a bar begins to tell, but it's not funny, as it concerns a stillborn child and an alcoholic slain by the last European wolf, and even after three hours there's no punchline in sight. When he reaches the part where a Polish scientist who has been navigating through a millimeter of wilderness, discovers subatomic temples in the rust sample, none of the men are listening. They are thinking about their own childhoods, about the deep embarrassment of scoring on your own team and the view from falling behind. So that is from Cantos for James Michener. I don't know that we can really comment on it until we wrap the whole thing, though. It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, there's a paragraph in here that is probably the most dense paragraph since we've uh, tackled, you know, a Berman poem. And it's, it's, the, it's the stanza that's, and this fight starts with a Polish joke that a man at a bar begins to tell, but it's not funny as it concerns a stillborn child and an alcoholic slain by the last European wolf. And even after three hours, there's no punchline in sight. Like, my goodness, just to think that somebody's sitting at this bar telling a story uh, that is uncouth and un, untoward, and they, you know, they, they're at it for three hours or so until somebody you know, tells them to shut the fuck up or, you know, a brawl breaks out or whatever it is that happens. So there's that. That's what I've got for you this week. I hope next week to have an episode in your hands. It is boxing day here on Monday and that could be troublesome, but I will do my absolute best to ensure that I get an episode into your feed. So there's that. That's what I've got for you. Be well, stay hungry, stay foolish, and wash your goddamn hands. The Berman Project 
is a production of Duvra Podcasts and Such. You can find out more about the show at www.thebermanproject.xyz. That's right. I'm fucking Canadian. I'm also social. Find me on Twitter, Instagram, and all the rest at Berman Project. Podcasts and such.